you know, you can, I've said this many times, but whenever the technical stuff seems to take a dump, you're like, come on. And, and it's so petty, you know, because I know it's the enemy. I mean, a lot of this stuff, tomorrow will come in and it'll work. It's like, you got to be kidding me. And it's just been one of those mornings, so I may be looking back behind me just to make sure I'm in the right spot today, because the back one's not working right now. I just thank God that he's in control, as petty as the devil is, right? So today, I just want to uh, tell you that this is going to be a year I think we'll remember, 2024. And last week during the week of prayer, it was just a sweet time as we spent time in the Lord. Um, And then Friday night, we went up to Life Worship Center in Sheboygan, and we worshiped with Pastor Sam's church family. And, and it was just really cool to spend time with other believers. You know, again, talking about the body of Christ. It's not all about the hope. It's about all of these churches who preach Jesus, right? We're all a part of the body of Christ. And I walked out of there Friday just... I just felt good. Sometimes... You need that. You just need that oomph. And I want to say that God is not done with his church. You know that, right? In fact, some believe this is going to be the greatest period of time for the church that we've had in history thus far. And I don't doubt that. But what that means is is that we, you and I, need to be in tune with what God is, is expecting from us, how we live our lives on a daily basis. And the message today is this, extraordinary living, how to achieve God's purpose for your life. And I've said this over and over lately, if you don't know what God wants from you, what do you need to do? Figure it out. You know, your whole mission right now, if you don't know that, is seek God. Those who ask will receive. Those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be opened. He gives you permission. So go to him and say, Lord, what do you have for me? And and I don't want you thinking that I'm this super genius, creative man. Uh, Part of this message today is based on an article by Cliff Young. And it it was called, uh, Choose to Live Extraordinarily. And I'm borrowing pieces from him. Cliff is a a contributing editor to Crosswalk.com, which is a a good website to to go to as a believer. I want to begin by sharing a quote from William Wallace. How many remember his name? He's the, of course you do. He's the hero in the movie Braveheart, right? And he said this in the movie, he said, every man dies, not every man dies really lives. Every man dies, not every man really lives. And if you remember that movie when, uh, of course it was Mel Gibson that played uh, William, when he shouted that out, because the the men weren't, they weren't getting it. it. It showed them holding pitchforks and other farming equipment and they're going up against the king's army they all had swords and spears and these guys are like we're gonna get trampled i'm not sure i'm in this so he had to encourage them 
to get them to see, look, there's more at stake here than just living. There's more at stake than just living. God wants to do something in his church. He's got a plan and a purpose for everybody here. But we have got to be open to it. I asked the question, who doesn't like the underdog? That's why I like Braveheart. Because he's the underdog. Again, they're coming up against this huge army. And if you didn't know this, Wallace led a resistance during the wars of Scottish independence against the tyranny of the crown of England. And this is where he challenged the men. And they were mostly farmers and, and tradesmen, you know, blacksmiths and so on. They were landowners, small landowners. And he asked them this, he said, I want you to step out from your rather routine lives and do something extraordinary. I want you to fight for what you believe. And that's how I'm beginning this message today. I want you to believe that God has you in this fight. And it's not a fight against flesh and blood. For God is spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And he expects us to fight the same way. In the spirit. And I believe that's somewhat what we did this past week. When we came here for prayer, when we gathered together, where two or more gathered in his name, he was here and we sensed the presence of the Lord. And when I challenge you today and I bring up Braveheart, what I'm not saying is I expect you to take up arms against a tyrannical government. Rather, I'm challenging you to serve God in a way that your ordinary life becomes extraordinary. And borrowing again from Cliff Young, he said this, he said, God calls each of us, many out of what we think are our mundane, everyday lives. How many can say amen? amen. Come on, be honest. He calls us out of our mundane, everyday lives to do something extraordinary to really live for him, meaning God, Jesus Likewise, the Apostle Paul said this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, and this is the NLT, and it says this, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you the spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Everybody say good fruit. Do you know that's what God expects from his people? To bear good fruit. And Jesus went into detail about this. A good tree only bears good fruit. A bad tree? So, which side of the fence are you on? Which vine are you plugged into? The good vine or the bad vine? Hopefully the good vine, right? And I love this part, all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And this is my cry for you this, this new year, is that you will get to know God 
better and better. And it's my plan and purpose to, to design church in such a way, with God's help, with the Holy Spirit's help, that will get you plugged in in ways that you haven't been before. And I'm not exactly sure what all that's going to look like at this point, but you're, you'll see it coming. I'll introduce it to you gently, and then I'm hoping everybody gets on board. And this is going to be the result. The fruit is that we will all get to know God, say it with me, better and better. Now, I love, I just heard this this past week, somebody said this. They said, the closer you are to God, the easier it is to hear Him. The closer you are to God, the easier it is to hear Him. So what, what puts distance between you and the Lord? It's, it's an honest question, and I, I want you to just examine yourselves. I don't expect you to, to tell me what it is. But there are things that we allow into our lives that put distance between us. What, what the Lord is saying is, come to me. Come to me. If you're carrying a heavy burden, come to me. I want to I wanna make it lighter. My yoke is easy. Right? My burden is light. And he's calling us to him and he's saying, look, I've got everything you need. There's nothing outside of me that you need. Everything else is just fodder. But when you get this in your heart and you realize, man, I've got to get plugged into Jesus today. You wake up in the morning and you're going, wow, why do I feel like this? Maybe it's because you're not in the Spirit. You haven't plugged into the Lord yet. So I'm challenging you today, in 2024, to make your daily living extraordinary. I want you to start thinking about God every day when you get out of bed, from the moment you get out till you go back at night or whenever you sleep. Does this make sense? Anybody? You want to hear this? Probably not. Sounds like work, Pastor. Yep, it does. I want to read this from the message, the same passage that I just read from Colossians. And it says this, We pray that you'll live well for the Master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. Huh? Can you see what he's saying here? The more that you understand God, the easier it is to figure out what your role is, what he wants from you. He went on in verse 11, we pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, I like that, but the glory strength that God gives It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. What a a beautiful word picture Peterson paints here. This is what God wants for his people. He wants you to discover his bright and beautiful world. And you do that as you carry out your father's business. Hopefully you agree that America, the Americans are blessed 
who live in this country. Where else can a person start from scratch, even come out of poverty and then impact their surroundings by becoming a powerful business person, a, a teacher, a doctor, or heaven forbid, even a politician? In most countries, that would never be allowed to happen. In fact, most are born into what's called a caste system. <clears throat> it's a level of society. Wherever that person is born, whatever level they're at in the social structure, that is most likely where they're going to die. So if the person is poor, she will always be poor. But if the person is wealthy, when she's born, she will most likely be wealthy when she dies. But here in the good old U.S. of A., where we get to live, people can start from nothing <laughs> and become a prominent figure in the world. And that's why millions of people are trying to come into this country through our southern border. They too want the opportunity that this land gives them, even, even if you and I take it for granted or take our freedoms for granted. You see, we are free to choose. Amen? Amen? If we decide that we want to change our lives tomorrow, we can do something completely different. And nobody's going to tell you no. That's pretty cool. In other countries, if, if you become a baker, you're going to be a baker till you die. But here, if you decide, today I'm a baker, tomorrow I'm going to be a preacher, it's okay. You can do that because you and I have the freedom to change our lives. That freedom gives us the capacity not only to change our own lives, but also the world. Ooh. You know, I got to, John, I got to get you guys to get me some cricket noises. <laughs> Did you hear that? that? It was like dead silence at the end of that thing. It's like, me? Change the world? Who do you think I am, pastor? Ralph Waldo Emerson cautions with this. He said this. He said, it is not the length of life, but depth of life that matters. And that begs the question, again, as Mr. Young put it, who or what are you living for? How deep are you willing to live your own life? That's a good question. Let me just repeat it. Who or what are you living for, and how deep are you willing to live your life? Over the years, I've struggled with this. And I feel like sometimes I do okay, other times I really let the ball drop. And I'm challenging myself with this. I'm asking you to do the same, but... I'm challenging myself, asking this question. How deep am I willing to go? Can I go deeper than I am now? Absolutely. There's so many things I could be doing different. And I, I intend to do that. And by the way, it's not a resolution that I'm making. Because those don't work. What does work is making a plan. Having specific things that you intend to do. And I'm not going to share what mine are, but... I already have a plan that I have uh, purposed in my heart to do, and it's gonna, I believe it's going to change who I am. 
and hopefully you'll see a good change in me. Possibly, maybe. Someday I might share what it is, and then you'll, you'll understand my dilemma. But right now, you just have to be curious. In 1895, philosopher William James delivered a speech to the Young Men's Christian Association of Harvard University, and it was titled, Is Life Worth Living? And, and by the way, Harvard University and Young Men's Christian Association Today, those two words don't go together. Those two things don't go together, sadly, sadly. But in his message, he said to the young man, he said this, believe that life is worth living and your belief will help create the fact. Believe that your life is worth living and your belief will create the fact. What this says to me is it takes a certain amount of grit if a person wants to live an extraordinary life. And I believe that anyone can have the life that I'm talking about here today. Mainly that you understand what God's will is for you and then you carry that out. Just like Jesus, he said, look, I'm I'm here about my father's business. It's not about me. It's not about what I'm going to get out of all this. And for us, we're here to honor Jesus. It's not about us. It's about his business, kingdom business. Still, though, you must have the right attitude and the drive to achieve that extraordinary life. Those two go hand in hand. The right attitude and the drive. You you can't have one and not the other. And if you want to be a success, you have to have both. Put another way, and and now I'm leaning on the spiritual side, put another way, there's a certain amount of faith that is required to reach the heavens. Can you say amen? Amen. And if you want to accomplish extraordinary feats, you've got to have faith. And I believe that's what William James was implying here. Sometimes it's the the, the clearness of what we're trying to do isn't there, but you just got to believe that God is in this. That he has called you to do something extraordinary with your life. And if you get that in your spirit, eventually it's going to drive you. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe that's how Jesus, the Messiah, that's how he lived his life when he walked those 33 years on this planet. Would you agree with me that he had lived an extraordinary faithful life? Everything he did was living by faith. Now today, I want to change a little bit. I want to look at somebody, a Bible hero from the Old Testament, just to make this point. And this is the start of a series, which I didn't plan on when I went here, but all of a sudden it was like, there's a lot more meat here than you're going to be able to deliver this Sunday. You'd be here until 5 o'clock today if I'd finished this thing. So just be rest at ease. <laughs> I'm not going to keep you that long. So as the story is told in Genesis 37, there's a 17-year-old lad named Joseph who was highly favored by his father. He was the last of Jacob's seed, the youngest child that he'd had in his old age. And and to be honest, he was just excited about it. And and again, he's not my son, he's my grandson, but when I get around Corbin and I see that little duffer running around, today he completely ignored me. 
And it crushed me. I'm like, what? You know, he usually comes to me and he goes like this. Not today. He just ran past me and went with Cheryl Lynn, the other grandma, and I'm like, ugh. It's all right. I'm going over there later, and I'm going to have a rematch. By the way, I didn't say this earlier, but make sure and pick on Troy today. It's his birthday. And, and I'm not going to tell you how old he is. But you can guess it. Jacob loved his son so much that he had a coat of many colors made for this son. That's kind of the, the idea behind my colors weaved into this to remind you of the coat of many colors. However, this didn't go over very well with his older brothers. How many have brothers or sisters, siblings? Yeah. How many are ever jealous about how mom and dad treat them versus, yeah, yeah? I was middle child, you know. I mean, they, they love me, but not like my older brother, just in case he's watching on there. Because he, he, does, he does tune in every now and then on Sunday. And uh, they love Butch a lot more than Norm. Oh, I'm, just, I'm messing with you, sort of. Because Jacob loved Joseph more than his siblings, and this is sad, but his brothers grew to hate him. That's a strong word, isn't it? Hate. One day Joseph had what he felt was a God-given dream. God showed him his future. And he made the mistake to share it with his older brothers. Let me read from that. Uh, I'm going to begin. I'm not reading all of it. But one night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Oops. Listen to this dream, he said. (laughs) We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up. And your bundles all gathered around me and bowed low before mine. Wow. If I'd said that to my brother Butch, he would have pummeled me. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Wow. One might think Joseph was being a bit arrogant here. And I mean, it kind of alludes to that a little bit. But could it be that Joseph was genuinely excited about the dream and the fact that God wanted to use him? How would you feel if God gave you a dream like this? I mean, wouldn't you get, you might get a little scared at first, but wouldn't you get excited? Hey, man, I'm, I'm going to be, people are going to bow. How cool. God's going to use me, you might think. And then you might say, well, I probably need to pray about this. Figure out what my part is in the scheme of things. Of course, these are just my thoughts, but. I want to share some takeaways from what Joseph said here and the dream that God gave him. Number one, not everyone will rejoice (laughs) in the things God puts in your heart. 
Not everyone will rejoice in the things God puts on your heart. If you're taking notes, write that one down. In fact, to the contrary, you might even face resistance from those who should have your back. Can I hear an amen? These guys were family. Hello? They were family. They were his brothers. Yet, as we'll soon see, the older brothers allowed their flesh, their jealousy, to cause them to do the unthinkable. So not everyone is going to rejoice when God puts something like this on your heart. Number two, sometimes it pays to bathe the things in prayer that God puts on your heart to do. In fact, <laughs> you might want to seek his timing. You've heard the, the, the old saying, timing is everything. Say that with me. Timing is everything. I believe that if Jacob, or I'm sorry, if Joseph had prayed about this, not, not the, that he had the dream, but just the idea of giving it to his brothers, things might have changed a little bit. Years ago, when I shared with my dad, and I, if you don't know this, I, I worked at General Motors for almost 12 years, and I had a really good job. You know, we built a house, we had four, four boys, we were living the dream, right? The American dream. We had money in the bank, uh, two or three cars. I mean, everything was going good for us. And then I felt like the Lord said, Norm, I want you and Barb to go into full-time ministry. <laughs> and I'm, I, I was excited about it, but also nervous. And when we felt the call, I was like, eh, okay, Lord. And, and I didn't think much more about it. You know, we went up, we had people pray for us. Yeah, we feel like God's calling us, and that was it. And about a year went by, a year and a half, and that's when I started hearing those voices in the middle of the night. And, and not like I was delusional. Not that kind of voice in the middle of the night, but the kind where I knew it was the Lord, and he started challenging me. He said, Norm, I want you to go into full-time ministry, and I want you to go to school. And I'm thinking, oh, well, that's great, but I have a really good job, Lord. This is me responding. I have a really good job, Lord, and if you really want us to do this, I have four boys to take care of and a wife, and you're going to have to make a way. And I just let it go with that. And about a month went by, maybe six weeks or so, and my boss came to me and he goes, Norm, he goes, I've been told that the company wants to offer buyouts. And I know you don't want this, but I have to, according to the union rules, I have to tell you, I have to offer it to you. And as soon as he said it, I knew. That was the Lord. It was the Lord's way of providing for us in the initial step that we needed to take. And I told him, because he really liked me, and, and I'm not bragging, but I was a, I was a pretty decent employee. He didn't, want, he didn't want to lose me. Um, then I had this other part to this story. I had to tell my family. <laughs> this is where I was actually going with this. So I went and I said, hey, Dad, I've got some news. And he looks at me and he goes, well, what's that? And my dad, you know, he loved me, but he was a little gruff at times. 
head of the union, you know, he just, he's one of those guys. And uh, I said, well, I feel like the Lord has, has been challenging me to go into ministry. Well, that's really good, son. You know, he didn't really understand what it was. But then I said this, and I said, I have to quit General Motors. He took about 30 seconds, and he had that glazed over look. And he goes, Norm, you're a fool. Not the word I wanted to hear from the man that I respected as my dad. It hurt. And, and what he said to me could have changed my course. I mean, I, I could have said, well, Dad, if you don't think I should. But when God puts something on your heart, you can't let family and friends interfere. And, and I'm happy to say a few years later, after Dad watched the way that we were living our lives, he pulled me aside one night and he said, Norm, I'm proud of you. You, you made the right decision uh, to go into ministry. This leads to the third point. Nothing can infer, interfere with what God puts on your heart to do. When God challenge you, challenges you to do something extraordinary with your life, if you're convinced it is from God, no people, no circumstance, nothing can get in the way. And by the way, this takes not only faith, but courage. And you cannot let anyone or any circumstance deter you from achieving your God-given future. Amen? Now, back to Joseph. He had more dreams. And instead of keeping his mouth quiet, what did he do? He added salt to the wound by telling his older brothers that everyone was going to bow down to him, including Pa now. And he got rebuked. Dad rebuked him. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, with his brothers. Let's, let's pick it up in verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. <laughs> As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Ah, here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Huh. Is it not like many today? And I have in here my very famous quote that I like to quote. Uh-oh, Chongo! And you have to be from the 80s to understand that. But thanks to the fact that Joseph's coat of many colors made him glow like a glow bug, his brother saw him coming from afar off, and it gave him plenty of time to plot out what they were going to do with him next. And by the way, if you don't know this, a cistern is just a dry well, a hole in the ground, basically. They plotted and they schemed as he drew closer to them, finally coming up with a plan to, to end his life. And then Reuben, one of the brothers, they saw some slave traders walking past with a camel 
with a camel. Lots of camels. Caravan. They were heading to Egypt, the Bible says. Then Judah thought they might as well make a little money off a little brother. Why just throw him in a hole? So they sold him to the Egyptians, the slave traders, for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus at least got 30. But before they traded him, they ripped his coat off. Because that was part of their plan. That coat represented a father's love. And it represented Joseph. So their plan was they would tear it to pieces, put animal blood on it, and tell dad that animals ate him. (laughs) How cool. What kind of brothers did this guy have? Yeah, they didn't kill him, but they might as well have stuck the knife in their dad because their father loved him so much. And when he heard this terrifying news, verse 35 says this, his family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said this, I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. And then he would weep. How How could those brothers every day go home and watch him weeping when they knew that he wasn't dead? That is cold. That's all I can say. And then in the last verse, verse 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. And I I include this only because we're going to get back to this next week. The Lord willing. But today, I just want to stop here and just ask this question. Wasn't Joseph supposed to rule over everyone? What happened? I guess he must have missed God, huh? Or so it appears. Yeah, you're right. Nope. <laughs> it just didn't go the way Joseph thought it was going to go. And again, we'll pick up on that next week. But this leads to a fourth point I wanted to make. Sometimes, perhaps more accurately often, the way God gets us to where we are living an extraordinary life is different from how we thought we would get there. When we started here in Gaylord 20 years ago, I expected after three years we'd be a megachurch and... The rest is history. And here we are 20 years later. And we have a a healthy church, I believe, but it's not a mega church. And we've had to make some adjustments and we've made some turns. Thanks to COVID, a lot of adjustments. Things didn't go the way that I thought they would. And I believe that's where Joseph is in this story. He expected things to go one way, but God had another plan. Sometimes God takes you through the wilderness before you get to the promised land. Sometimes you must go through hardship before you get to the blessing. And sometimes, and I emphasize this point, sometimes the only thing you have left to cling to 
is your faith and your calling. And we've all been called, by the way. And we are all expected to live this life by faith. But this is enough if we hang on to it. The calling and our faith is enough. When Barb and I went to school, I'll have to speed this up. My first year of tuition was covered from the buyout that we received from General Motors. We spent the, the rest of it, we bought a mobile home and we lived in what then they called the trailer park. They buried it since then, it's not there. We lived there, they buried it. No, no connection. <laughs> and we spent the rest of our time there. I went to school and Barb went and got a job at uh, the Assemblies of God headquarters that was there in Springfield, Missouri. But after the first year, and we thought Barb was doing really well with her job, all of a sudden, she came in one day and they let her go. Her boss let her go. And that's when everything got interesting. You see, we thought we knew. We thought we were on God's plan. And that we were taking the course He had for us. And we frantically prayed, and maybe you've done this. What now, Lord? Did you call us to this to this wilderness just to die in the desert? How many have prayed that prayer? Then we remembered a prophecy that the prophet Dick Mills had, and this was in Lansing. And Dick saw us come in the room, and he said, I have a word for you. And we stood, and he gave it. And basically he said that Barb and I were called, being called into full-time ministry and that our ministry was going to be together. We were, we were a team, not to be separated. And we went out of there feeling like, sweet, we got a word from the Lord, and we were the first ones. I mean, how cool. We were pretty pumped about that. And then we went to college. The problem was, we had no money in reserve after we paid for my first year and then the, the trailer. So when Barb lost her job, we were like, now what? And that's when this prophecy struck us, like, like deer in the headlights kind of thing. It's like, we missed it. Who did God call? Both of us. Who was going to school? Just me. And she goes, I think I'm supposed to go to school. Well, I think I might have. Did I convince you of that? I can't remember. Yeah, I had to convince her. Because she's like, I didn't want to go to school. And then we're at this place where we're like, we have no money. No money for her to go to school. What are we going to do? So what does she do? By faith. This is what she did, literally. This is what she did. She went in the day that we were signing up for enrollment. She went to the registrar. And she acted like she had everything <laughs> There's nothing in our checkbook. Gets up to the counter after she went through the, some of the paperwork there. And the registrar looks at her and she goes, Oh, hey, honey, you're good. Everything is taken care of. 
What? God's got this. When he has a calling on your life and he's telling you to do something, all you have to do, all you have to do, is take that step of faith. Now, she risked a lot doing that. Just the embarrassment of getting up there and the lady go, okay, how are you going to pay for this? And Barbara, but she didn't have to because God had it. God knew she was coming, and he made a way where there was no other way. (laughs) So what we learned from that is this. First step, go. Simple. Do what God's telling you to do. Get out of his way. When you serve God, you had better be prepared to exercise your faith. Hear this part. No faith, it probably is not God. Here's Hebrews 11:6. It is impossible to please God what? Without faith. That's my highlight. It is impossible to please God without faith. And I add to that, if your dream isn't bigger than you, if it isn't God-sized, it is probably not God. Plain and simple. So there we were, not knowing how we could continue going to school, but God. God had a plan, and that came to fruition. And we, you could have heard us from Lansing. The Lord met us there, and the door was open, and I believe it was opened by faith. And trust me when I say this part, our faith grew right there, and our testimony grew. We couldn't wait to tell people about the miracle. What is God asking you to do that's extraordinary? You're going to hear this again and again this year. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. And you see he was very passionate when he said this, and you'll understand when I show you. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you, say beg you, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. This man in chains uses the word, I beg you. I beg you. Lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Joseph expected to rule his family one day according to the dream God had given him. But God took the young man through the valley first. I'm happy to say Joseph didn't give up, which we'll get to next week. But what about you? Has God given you a dream, a purpose, a mission, a calling? Would you stand with me? Have you given up? Or are you pursuing your purpose passionately? This is a new year, a new time for all of us. And I'm, I'm happy to say you can begin anew if you choose to. It's always a choice. 
Don't let past failures dictate your life. Was that part of your prophecy? It was. Don't let sin keep you from God's best. If you're sitting at home thinking, you know what, I'm just a horrible wreck. I just don't deserve to be there. That's the devil. That is not God's, that is not the Holy Spirit. He is not saying that to you. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. And I'll give you everything you need. Even, and I believe this, with an extraordinary life. Perhaps you've lived a shallow life up to this point. Well, guess what? You can change that today. You don't have to stay there. You can live your life fully with depth and with faith and with courage by starting. By taking that first step, which was what? Go. How simple is that? Go. But you need to understand that God has a calling on your life. And he expects you to live an extraordinary life. Not because you're extraordinary, I preface this, but because he is extraordinary. Right? How many are ready to live extraordinary lives? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Ah, hallelujah. Almost everybody in here is like, yes. And that's kind of what I was hoping because... If you hadn't raised your hand, I'd be up here going, oh. As your pastor, this is my prayer for all of us this year. That we will begin to live extraordinary lives. Because our God is extraordinary. And he doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't do mundane things. Does he? No, not at all. So it's this simple. Mundane or extraordinary? It's your choice. You choose. And if if you're in the latter, you choose to live extraordinary. I want to pray for you today. So one one more time, if that's you, just lift your hand up. I want to pray for you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Would you just, if you can, lift both your hands. And and I see this, I, I use this example a lot, this illustration, but I just had to pour oil in my car. And I got a funnel out so it didn't go all over the place. When we do this, it's like a funnel. And the Holy Spirit, He's pouring into us. And that's what I want. I want, this can't be us. This has to be God. And that's my prayer today. And and here is my prayer Father God, please give these people the complete knowledge of your most holy will. Help them to understand what your will is and help them to begin living extraordinary lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know, I know, sometimes that can seem so trite, really, just a prayer. But when that prayer is exercised in faith and in courage, God can do the miraculous. And he chooses to when we are living extraordinary lives for him. So with that,
God bless you. Thank you for coming today. And uh, I hope to see you again next week as we'll continue this discussion. God bless.